Pastor Teresa, leading us off there in a song this morning, worshipping our Lord. And uh, what an amazing time it can be just gathering. There's only three of us here this morning, but we know that you're gathered with us online. And we just give the Lord glory today as you join us for our fourth week of uh, church transformation. And uh, we're getting to look at some of the new things that are going on and uh, the way that we are able to look at what God is doing in our midst and uh, really taking courage for some of the things that God has shifted already in our midst and some of the things that God is continually doing uh, in our lives. So how about we just open in prayer and uh, take the time before we get into the Word just to invite the Holy Spirit into our lives to speak to us through His Word. Father God, we thank You that we can gather in Your presence and we thank You that we can worship You in spirit and truth. We thank you, Lord, and, and as the song says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Lord, we choose today to bless you from our innermost being. We thank you that our spirits are aligned with you and we choose to align our souls with the truth that Jesus is alive and he lives in us. Thank you, Lord, that we are your children and we invite your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our minds today to keep us alert and aware and and lord just giving thanks for the things that you're doing in our midst father we give you glory and honor in jesus name amen well like i said church transformation and it's a it's uh been a, an interesting study once again for me to look at this sort of stuff but also to help us unpack this as a church and do the things that we're doing today we're looking at uh the second shift and as we do so i want to just capture what last week was in a, in a really simple way. That last week we looked at the first shift, which was a power shift. We needed to make a power shift and uh, becoming a praying community in a nutshell. And I praise the Lord that prayer is ever increasing in our congregation from an individual point of view and also from a corporate point of view, that we're just looking for more and more opportunities to lift the Lord up in prayer, to bless Him and to bring our petitions and our our plans before him in prayer as so we needed to take a strategic shift it's a change of thinking which is inspired by the holy spirit resulting in a change of behavior that produces a greater effectiveness in fulfilling the purposes of god for this moment in history and that was a strategic shift that we made and and i give god the glory for that and like i said continually looking to increase our footprint as a praying community in uh, in our church and and this week we're looking at the second shift which is a priority shift so we we're moving from this power shift and looking at the second key which is really a priority shift and uh, what does that mean well we need to align ourselves with the things of Jesus we need to align ourselves with what heaven is doing and uh, we're thankful for, for that so we're starting today with a focus on Jesus from this simple parable that is found in Luke chapter 15 and uh, verses 1 to 7. Let me read this scripture to you. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country? And go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoice. Come, uh, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Amen? And in the, the, the vision that God has for us, is a priority shift, aligning ourselves with the things that were priority for Jesus. You know, we find what is important to someone by watching them as they relate to people. In this story, we discover the priority of Jesus by the way he interacts with the sinners and tax collectors. We also see the priority of the religious, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, which really is seen in keeping up with appearances. And Jesus, through his teaching of this parable, brings a simple correction, but it's a profound correction. It's about 
aligning with what is the important priority of, ki- of the kingdom. The parable also reveals to us what brings joy to the kingdom. Another translation that is used here instead of joy is the word rejoice. Heaven rejoices over someone that is significant to the heart of God, which is the sinner who repents. I think that's a really good word. So as it says there in verse 7, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Have you ever asked yourself, what, what brings the Lord joy? What brings the kingdom of heaven joy? What, what brings my Father joy? Well, it's the sinner who repents and changes his way and comes to know Jesus and turns his life around in faith in God. If we're going to be a church that ushers in a godly revival, a Holy Spirit move, and advance the kingdom of God further, we must see a shift in what is a priority for God. Our priorities must shift from us, our comforts, and our needs to becoming an evangelistic community. We must shift from in-reach to outreach. And I know in-reach is not a word, but it helps us unpack and understand this. We've got to turn from being inwardly focused in the comfort of each and every individual believer to the focus of outreach. What God has done in me needs to be expressed out of me so that more sinners can repent and therefore creating more rejoicing in heaven. So we see heaven's priority really is this whole sense that heaven must be a place of immense joy Yet this passage reveals that joy increases in heavens exponentially when a person becomes a child of God through faith in Christ. There's more joy in heaven when this happens. Matthew 9 and 13 reveal this to us where it says, go and learn what this means. Jesus says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice for I came not to call the righteous but the sinners. If you believe in Jesus and if you put your life in his hands, if you've surrendered your heart to him and become, made yourself obedient to his word, then you're considered righteous. And as a righteous person in God, what Jesus is desiring is not sacrifice of animal, but the sacrifice of the righteous, which is to put themselves behind themselves for the cause of the kingdom of God. See, God wants to expand the kingdom and see more sinners come to know him. This was Jesus' purpose. The Bible says that lost people matter to God in his book. Therefore, they should matter to us. Really, saving the lost is the bottom line. If you've ever wondered what is the first thing that I must do as a born-again believer, the, the thing with the most priority, well, it's ultimately giving your life to be a light in your community. It's to share the gospel of Jesus. What God has done to you and for you, and how he saved you, and set you free, and put you on a solid rock, and he's moved you in to the kingdom of God. To evangelize other people, and to see them come to know Jesus. You see, God's heart for the world is seen here in this passage. And 2 Timothy says it like this. Oh, sorry, 1 Timothy, Timothy says it like this in chapter 2 and verses 1 to 4. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people. Isn't that interesting that this follows on from our first shift of priority, which was really a power shift. And now we're seeing a shift in our priorities, which is really to give thanks and to make intercession and supplications for all people for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of all truth or of the truth. Praise God that God desires this. And again in Second Peter We see this, heaven's priority is the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all 
should reach repentance. God's desire, this is heaven's priority, that all people would repent and come to know Christ. He wants all people to be saved and he wants all people to not perish. And he's long-suffering in this. You see, we've got a part to play. We've got a real part to play in this because God's played his part. Just quickly look at this. The, The true power is found in God. God has done his part. So when we look at God's priorities, God's done his part. John 3.16 tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave. God gave Jesus. God's done his part. Everyone say amen to me for that one. Because because a lot of the time when it comes to outreach and evangelism, we're waiting for God to do something. But in fact, God's done his part. Do we believe that? The second thing is this. Jesus has done his part. At Calvary, he died in our place. He, he put himself at the cross in our place. He took upon himself our punishment and our suffering. And he died our death so that we might live. And the life that we might live, we might live unto Jesus. How and why? Well, why is because he wants us to be a witness for him. And how? By our lives laid down for him. The same way he laid down his life for us. So we're sitting there, are we praying, Jesus, come and have your way? Well, Jesus has had his way, and if you allow him to have his way in your life, then Jesus will do remarkable things through a life that is surrendered to him. The same way Jesus surrendered his life to the Father. Well, then let's wait for the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit has done his part as well. He's he's empowered us, he's enlightened us, and he's encouraged us. There should be no happier person on the planet than a Christian that is filled with the purpose of God and the empowerment of God. The Holy Spirit is giving us joy to overcome our own lives. He's empowered, enlightened, and encouraged us. And yet we're waiting for God to encourage us. But He does so by His Spirit. So what is our part? Well, our part is this. Our part is to be a witness for Jesus, reaching out for every person. It's the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age co-mission with Jesus because he says right there at the end that I am with you always even to the end of the age I wonder if you've been wondering where Jesus is if you've been wondering in this time of lockdown and trial and storm if you've been wondering where Jesus is in all of this well maybe you, you need a priority shift maybe you need to move in in the way you're thinking, and the way you're looking at stuff, and the way that all this negative stuff is consuming you into a positive shift, a priority of seeing the light of God shine through you, of being a light of the gospel, of sharing Jesus. Why? Because I believe the more you share Jesus, the more you share the testimony that Jesus has done in your life, the more that you empower yourself uh, with equipping yourself with the gospel and the more you release the gospel to people around you i believe the more you will realize how much jesus is with you in the midst of that so if it's if it's where are you jesus is the is the point of your prayer at the moment well we need to see that we put our gospel of peace shed our feet with the gospel of peace and begin to start walking out in faith what god has done for us telling whoever will listen what God is doing in the midst of this trial and tribulation season, sharing of what God is doing in your life and how he's, he's keeping you above water, telling people that there is a hope and his name is Jesus. It's found in him. As we do so, I can tell you the presence of Jesus increases in your life. And joy, joy will increase. Church, we need to listen closely to this. Prayer, worship, ministry and fellowship are all very important 
When we think about Sundays and coming together and the gathering of the saints, these are things that we do all the time. Prayer, worship, ministry and fellowship. The ministry of the word, the ministry of the gifts. All of those things are very important. But reaching out to people needs to be equally important. Outreach is to be a priority if we're ever going to see the lost found, the blind see and the captive free. We've got to stop waiting for God to do this and realize that revival begins in us and it is released through us. This is the priority shift from inreach to outreach. The purpose of the church is threefold. I'll quickly get through these. To minister to God first and foremost. This has to do with our relationship with God, which we develop devotionally through prayer worship and the reading and studying of his word this is this is our ministry to god that's our first one the second purpose of the church is like that it's to minister one to another so to each person that is a part of the church this has to do with our relationship with each other as christians and which is expressed through loving one another and fellowship and serving the purposes of each other serving one another and serving the purpose of the church. They're the first two things. But I think churches often get stuck here, ministering to God and ministering one to another. Sounds like a perfect world. But the enemy is lying to us if we can't see that the third purpose is as important and really needs a big effort and a big push for us to move into. And that is to minister to a dying and lost world. This has to do with our relationship with those who do not yet know Jesus as Lord and Saviour expressed through evangelism, outreach, church planting and mission. A church that does not have uh, is a church that is focused on inreach and not outreach. And Lord and the Lord is sharing with us this morning that we need to have a priority shift of outreach from inreach to outreach. The church exists for mission, not just for itself. We saw this in Acts, the church began to complain the seven able to minister. And we see the needs of the church were met. And we see that the outreach began to get bigger and bigger as a focus. How can I say that? Well, firstly, the, the scriptures reveal to us in Acts that the Lord began to add to their number again daily, which was something that happened when the Holy Spirit was first poured out upon the church. And then structure came into the church and the seven were chosen. And then when the needs were met and they began to outreach again, the Lord started to add their number daily. Philip was a gifted evangelist. And as Philip served the needs of the church and as Philip began to teach what outreach really was and that God's priority, the heaven's priority was outreach, he began to to minister in the fullness of his gifting. And we see Samaria come to know Jesus, that city in Samaria. Mark Connor writes in his book, churches that focus on maintaining their tradition alone without seeking to reach out to embrace the lost will eventually become irrelevant and possibly extinct. I want to read this page to you, if I may. It's just one page out of this book. This is Mark Connor again. He says, the church must avoid becoming isolated from the world. Unfortunately, most Christians have very few friendships with non-Christians and even less as time goes on. We may work with them, but we don't spend time with them socially. We can be so radically different that we find it hard to relate to their world and culture. We have a message, but no audience. We become irrelevant. That's what happens with isolation. The other extreme is to be so immersed in the world and become so like them that there is no noticeable difference between the church and the world. We have an audience, but our message has no impact. Worse still is when we compromise by becoming a citizen of both worlds and at home in both of them. We are neither radical nor different. Hear that, church. And therefore, we are no longer salt nor light. The challenge is to identify with the world and reach out to people in love without compromising. 
Like Paul, we are to become all things to all men to save some. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. God wants us to be both different and relevant. The church must infiltrate the world for Christ. It must have a harvest focus by passionately pursuing the Great Commission, not the Great Omission. Churches that remain healthy and continue to grow will put tremendous energy into reaching the unchurched, into missions, and God wants, us, uh, God wants to put our heart or his heart of love in his people once again. A love that reaches out to all kinds of people and embraces them regardless of their condition. He wants the church to be inclusive rather than exclusive in its attitude. Our mission is to reach out in love and express compassion for the needs of people. We are to share the good news that Christ can reconcile them to God. We are to make disciples of all nations. It's time for the church to reach out as never before. And church, I think there's a challenge here for me and for you. Because when we're thinking about being in reach versus outreach, we've got to challenge the attitude of our heart. Are we prepared to go? Are we prepared to get up out of our comfortable seats or our comfortable lounge or our comfortable bedroom? Are we prepared to get up and go and see someone and share with their need? In other words, meet their need, but bring Christ into the situation and help them see that Christ reconciles them to God. I don't want to be a church that expects everyone to walk in this door. I don't want to be a person that expects that you come to my house or else you've got no uh, right to be with me. I don't want to be a church that says, hey, come to the church, it's fabulous, but yet you're not willing as a church member to go to the lost. You're not willing to go to the highways and the byways and to find all who can come in, all that God has called. You see, church, are we willing to go? A friend might be in need. Are you willing to go and sit with them? They might need financial assistance. They might need some food. They might need someone to just sit and listen. But as you listen, you can listen to them and you can open your heart up and listen. First, willing to go. Go, therefore, and make disciples. You hear that? Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples. I just want to focus a little bit on church growth for a little bit here. God wants his church to grow. Do you know that? He wants us to be fruitful in every way. How we gauge if a plant is healthy is by the fruit that it bears. You can read this in Genesis 1. We cannot see this. Is the case have brought into the lie of Satan himself. A twisting of the truth that God is only interested in faith. But you see, faith without deed is dead. You can't have faith without action. God is indeed concerned with the world, or else Jesus wouldn't have said this in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, power, dunamis power, is for the witnessing of Jesus. Whether that's the signs and wonders or the conviction of your word, the Holy Spirit moves in power through you as you go. And the purpose is to bear fruit. Fruit for the kingdom. This is what keeps me focused on Jesus. This is what keeps me focused on his kingdom. With all of the distractions that can come my way, it's, it's these things. The church is never too big when there are still more people to be saved. Do you remember the parable of Jesus when he starts to talk about the banqueting hall is ready and prepped and we need to go out into the highways and byways because there's still room? Go and get the invited but also go and get the uninvited. Bring them in. Help them see. The church is never too big when there are still more people to be saved. Bigger churches bring bigger complications, yes. And more change, absolutely. But we've learnt that change is good. When the entire city is saved, 
only then are the churches in it big enough. Do I need to say that again? Only when the entire city is saved, only then, only then are the churches in Griffith to be filled. Hey church, sorry about that. We just lost internet here at the church and uh, we dropped out right there as I was about to begin and talk about three ways that the church can grow. Uh, our apologies for that, but thank you for your patience. And uh, if, you, if you want the, the PowerPoint slide, just drop a comment um, or drop an email to, to me or Pastor Micah or a text message and we can send you the PowerPoint if you're not able to see it on the screen. We're trying our best here to keep it going and keep you happy and uh, to keep growing together, amen? And I think that's the heart as we're, we're doing so. Thank you, Pastor Micah, for working out these difficulties with our internet and uh, we're really hoping that um, these dry out soon. So we're looking at three ways that the church can grow and I'm just checking out the time to see where we're up to. Uh, firstly, there's biological growth. Biological growth is one of those ways that the church can grow and I'm I get excited about biological growth. I love seeing uh, married couples having children. I just love seeing people having children and, uh, and uh, bringing them into the house of the Lord and, uh, and the place where they can come and, and be encouraged as a family of God. I love biological growth. I love seeing dedications happen here at church. It excites me all the time. And I love seeing our families increase. That's fruitfulness in the family, amen. And a healthy family, a healthy tribe, always having new kids. So that's the first way a, ch a church can grow. Uh, but it's not the only way. The second way is really transfer growth. And we've seen a number of people transfer over the years, both to our church and from our church. And that's okay because, excuse me, the Lord... The Lord places the members in the body. You've got to understand that. And sometimes people fit here and sometimes people fit in other congregations. And while you might not get to see them as much or, or you might get to meet new people, you've got to understand that it's better to see someone serving in a church and growing in their faith than being sad and miserable, not being able to do things. So I'm excited even when I see transfer growth now. Uh, it's not that we're sitting there looking for people to steal and do that sort of thing and and you know, looking across the fence, that's got nothing to do with it. It's, we're looking at transfer growth. It's natural. It's fine. Um, but we're not into sheep stealing. You've got to understand that. People come because the Lord leads them. And we're able to take time out and help them unpack and come in and know and understand the vision that God has for us here. And I think we do that really well as a church. So um, if you've been new in the last 12 months, we encourage you and, and, and praise God for your lives. And we want to see you growing and contributing to the ministry here both internally but more focused on the external, amen, on the outreach. But the third this is this, and I think this is the most powerful, the conversion growth. I think this is the purpose of the church. I think really this is, this is the number one dynamic that we need if we want to see the church multiply. That's multiply in number and multiply in church plants. Everyone say that with me. Multiply in number and multiply in church plants. And it's really conversion growth. People, that is, people surrendering to Jesus because you and I have revealed him to them by witnessing to them the gospel of Christ. Imagine what it looks like. Just think about this for a minute. Imagine what it looks like when the Lord adds to us daily. Think about it. Even if it was only one person converted every day, that's more than 365 people a year. One person, 365 souls in a year. Could you imagine if 10 people were witnessing to God like that? Witnessing to their community? That multiplies out to 3,650 people. Wow. That's if the Lord adds to their number daily. But what if he's only adding to your number as an individual witness for Christ one or two or three a year? Well, that's still important because those one or two or three a year multiplied out over a couple of hundred adults, that adds up. That's still five to six hundred people, new converts a year. Come on, church. This is, the, this is the best indicator of church health that I know. Conversion growth. And this only comes when we prioritize outreach over inreach. You know, there's some not cool statistics, and these are probably a little bit old. I couldn't find the up-to-date ones, but think about this. 80% of churches have plateaued, and 15% are growing primarily by attracting Christians from other churches. 
Now, there's some mega churches that will go and plant in a city. And when they do, they'll plant a church and they'll attract people from good people from other churches into that church. And what it does is it strips those churches of good ministry so that we can get one big mega church. Now, now if that's the way that God's called them, all power to them, because in the end they do end up getting conversion growth and some of those people push back out into those churches, but it's not the number one priority. The number one priority is to see conversion growth. You and I, joining together with Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, sharing the gospel. If we want to see this nation transform, it's not going to happen over social media. Sorry, Facebook and Instagram is not going to transform our nation. It's not going to transform our nation listening to all the latest advice and every different news release that comes out. No. If we want to transform this nation, it has to come from transforming the way we think about the presentation of the gospel. You and I, called of God, empowered by God, presenting the gospel in every location. So we've got to do the work of the ministry. We've got to do the work of the ministry. What do we do if we don't naturally have the gift of evangelism? Do we sit on the fence and say, well, I can't do it. I'm not gifted to do it. Or if it seems daunting to us, who, the Lord, um, who love the Lord, but we seem to be fearful of people's reactions. There is so much to say here, because fear of man should never keep us from witnessing. This has been a struggle for my entire life. Witnessing does not come natural for me. Even now that I believe, I no longer fear what other people think. I could have many excuses. I never grew up under a strong evangelistic leader. I don't know what to say. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I do? Yet in reality, they're all excuses that I've made up in my mind to keep me comfortable. Jesus told the disciples to follow him and he will make them fishers of men. That's right. I can tell you there is nothing better than sharing the gospel with people and seeing the light come on. Each time I get the opportunity and the privilege to do that, I walk out of that place wherever I am and I'm full of joy. The most recent one was uh, end of last term at school here. The, there were some things going on with the girls at school and, and I got the chance to sit with them and present the gospel out of, um, out of the gospel and just present the way Jesus looks. And as I did so, the light started to come on and the girls connected with the gospel. And, and as they did... They lowered their head and invited Jesus into their life. They surrendered to him. They, they asked him to forgive them of the mistakes that they were making. And those girls in the school, this, this, this beautiful school, Verity Christian College, gave their lives to Jesus. Yeah. And the next step for us is to encourage them and disciple them and to see them doing the same in their lives, sharing the gospel. It's still not natural though. It's not easy I have to work on it. But that doesn't matter because I love Jesus and Jesus loves me. I understand what he did for me and how he empowers me by his spirit to witness about him. And now I get the privilege to minister Jesus to other people. And that's a big shift in my thinking. It's a privilege. Second Timothy. Not changing on me, Tess. 2 Timothy uh, 4.5 says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Did you hear that? Endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For me, to do the work of an evangelist is twofold. I have an individual responsibility to both Jesus and his church, to share the gospel and to be a light to the community. And secondly, I have to trust that I am called like Timothy to equip you to do the same. Jesus is the greatest evangelist and he reproduced into many people in his three years of ministry. And adding to that, another great evangelist is Holy Spirit who exploded onto the scene and the church grew exponentially. Why? Because he is the spirit of Jesus within and upon us. To have boldness to share the truth. 
in love. We so miss this reality when we are inward focused. I tell you, outreach will bring you to life as you share with people what God has done. The Holy Spirit will come alive in you and you will encounter pure joy. Witnessing takes faith, compassion, courage, preparation and wisdom. I'll say them again. Faith, compassion, courage, preparation and wisdom. Amen? Faith in the gospel itself, faith that people are looking for God and faith that God wants to use us. I've got faith in all of those things and I know God wants to use you. Compassion, because it was what motivated Jesus. It motivated him ultimately to leave heaven to save you and I. It is Jesus' passion for people that led him to Calvary. Compassion for the lost moves us to reach out. Courage, because we need to stop avoiding the reality that God has called us to equip us to share the gospel and bring light into the darkness. Humans tend to avoid the things they fear unless you belong to Gen Y, for an example, who want to explore the world, right? Not be locked up, not to be kept down in work and all those sorts of things. They want to be completely mobile and free, not a part of the grid. So, so much so, that I haven't seen a generation like it that is so willing to jump out of a perfectly legit plane to test their boundaries. Or jump from a 30 meter cliff and land in a pool of water just to see what's at the bottom for that thrill and that excitement. How daring and fun. But the challenge really is, are we daring and fun in presenting Jesus? What do we fear? Not knowing what to say? I, I, can, I can honestly agree with that one. I feared that one the most. I didn't know what to say when I met Sarah and thought that we should think about dating. I didn't know what to say then. But you know what? I asked her. I spoke to her. We went on a date. I overcome my fear. What do we fear? Having to answer difficult questions? We have to answer a difficult question the moment you put the bungee strap around your ankles. There's a risk in that faith step, isn't there? Fear of the unknown? Well, definitely fear of the unknown. What if my parachute doesn't open when I jump out of the plane? What's at the bottom of that 30 meter cliff when I jump off? Who knows? We could be full of fear or we can trust. Do I fear rejection? The rejection of man? Well, I could have felt rejected if Sarah said no when I asked her out on a date. Come on. These are fears that we have to overcome all the time, every day. We have to learn how to overcome fear in our life to even function normally. So why do we get paralyzed around evangelism? I think it's because we believe the lies of the devil. Do I fear alienating the person? Well, did you worry about that with your conviction on the vaccine, whether it's negative or positive? I don't think anyone's fearing alienating people with their views on that. How much more important is it to share your view of Jesus? Do you fear being challenged or put in awkward positions? Well, that's everyday life. In your workplace, you'll be put in awkward positions all the time. Do you fear people getting upset with you? Well, if it happens... It happens. I'm sure more people get upset with you every day that don't tell you. And that's okay. So why do we fear so much in this area of evangelism? While fear is only natural, even the apostles had some fear. Fear is something that we must constantly deal with. Amen? You will never witness for Jesus if you wait for fear to leave and a special feeling come all over you. We must press in and not allow fear to control us by stopping us from being obedient to Christ and to the call to be his witnesses. God constantly tells us not to fear. Do you know that? I think it's probably the most expressed thing in the Bible. There are over, I did a quick search on this, there are over 1,500 verses on the subject of fear 
and around 350 or more where God says either fear not or do not fear in the Bible. That is a lot of references to not fearing. Do you think God understands us? Absolutely. He understands all of these things, which is why he gave us the Holy Spirit. Do you know, there's a scripture for at least every day of the year for God to say to you, do not fear or fear not. Come on. Maybe we need to replace fear with scripture and fear with the things that God is saying to us in the moment. Replace it with that and see what God is doing. Amen? That reminder to not fear. You know, courage is not the absence of fear, but the conquering of fear. Courage believes that God wants, us to, use, wants to use us and our love for Jesus and seeing his will done should always trump our fear for telling others about him. We are called, equipped and empowered to share the gospel by the Holy Spirit. What have we to fear? If God is for us, who can stand against us? Being prepared is important also. Looking for opportunities, ready to share a testimony with someone reading the scriptures and learning those that relate to the gospel and being prepared to lead someone to Jesus are all important. You know, being prepared, learning the gospel, knowing what to say, they're all important things. But do you know, if someone said to you they want to know Jesus, do you know how to lead them to Jesus? Well, there's four basic steps for a person to come to Christ. And I think these are important for us because if you know these four simple steps, that will give you confidence. You don't have to go and call Pastor Teresa and ask her to come and, uh, and share the gospel with someone. You can share the gospel with people and you can lead someone to Jesus. Come on. Don't let someone else steal your, your, your fruit for the kingdom. Don't let someone else steal your treasure. As you go out and faithfully witness for Jesus, this is four steps really simply to come to Jesus. First of all, confession. You can write these scriptures down. 1 John 1, 9-10. The first thing for a person to come to Jesus is they need to confess. It's the admission of their need. That they need a saviour. They need someone to cover their sin. The second is repentance. You can see this in Acts 17.30 and Acts 3.19-20. Repentance, a willingness to change and live differently. That's a full 180 degree turnaround. Confession is one. Repentance is the second. The third is belief. John 3.16 and 36. Believe that Jesus is God's son who died for their sins and can forgive them. Confession, repentance, belief. That's your faith, right? Someone needs to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died in their place. And lastly, they need to receive the benefit. John 1.12 The need to receive Jesus into their life through a prayer of invitation. The asking of him to become their Lord and their Saviour. Romans 10.8-10 says this, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Wisdom. Wisdom's a perfect thing, right? Proverbs 11.30 says this. If you want wisdom... You know, we're able as Christians to ask God for wisdom. But think about this. He who wins souls is wise. I think that's the fruit of wisdom in your life. He who wins souls is wise. It takes a lot of wisdom to witness effectively and lead someone to Jesus. Understanding that evangelism is often a process, a planting of seed, a watering, a demonstration of love, and even the leading of prayer. Witnessing is not an argument that needs winning, but a soul that is dear to God. What use is it getting all tangled up in a debate when what they need is a relationship with God through Jesus? And we get the privilege of linking them to Jesus. Colossians 4, 5-6 says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders 
making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This brings me to my conclusion and our application for the day. These are the benefits of sharing your faith according to Mark Connor. Just as the most exciting place in a hospital is the maternity ward, so one of the most exciting places to be in church is around new Christians. Sharing your faith benefits God by bringing him glory and great joy. Sharing your faith benefits others by bringing them to salvation, abundant life and into a new family. Sharing your faith benefits you by being, uh, bringing personal joy, satisfaction, growth and confidence in God. Together, let's make a priority shift by making heaven's priority our own. Help us to transform our church by winning the lost for Christ. And here's our personal action plan. This is something that you can apply. There's 10 things here, and you might be able to apply one or two of them even this week. But let me encourage you to do so. The first is this. Make the decision to become a soul winner. If you decide to become a soul winner, well then, you're one step there. The second application is list five people you would like to be saved. Then contact them every week in some way. Do something special for them once a week. Include them in a special activity. Look for opportunities to witness and share your faith. What that means is invite them into your world. Go and see them. Invite them to a party. Bring them along in the journey. And as they get the opportunity to see how you make decisions and how you look to Jesus and how your faith is expressed, you will bring a witness to them. The third, be a friendly person who always looks out for new people. You can do that here at church on a Sunday. You can do that in your workplace. You can do that in Griffith. One of the ways you can do that is follow the community page on, on Facebook. And often you'll see new people moving to the area and you could write them an encouraging message when they make a comment and you can encourage them and you can ask them if they're looking for a church or looking for a school or if they need accommodation. You can ask them if they need help. And if you've got some excess stuff, you can even offer to give it to them. You see, it's pretty simple. Look out and be friendly for the new people. That's just one idea. Number four, intentionally make friends and develop relationships with people who aren't Christians. That's not so that they can influence you. That's so that you can influence them. The more you spend in prayer and devotion with God, the more that will overflow out of your life and it will benefit them. Number five, pray for opportunities to share the love of Jesus. It's pointless going out and saying and not praying for opportunities to witness. Ask God who he wants you to talk to. God will hone your aim and instead of being a shotgun, he'll make you an intensified rifle with a scope and zero in on the person that he wants you to share his love with. We've got to change from the scattergun approach. And we've got to become more focused in who we're sharing with. And that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Number six, invite non-church family and friends to appropriate church events. Not all church events are appropriate for, for you to be inviting people to. And I get that. I understand that. I wouldn't be inviting some of our friends to a couple of our night services. But I'll tell you what, when we start having healing services and, and things like that, I'd definitely be encouraging you to invite your family and friends. Because it gives opportunity for the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus in a new way. Number seven, read a book or attend a seminar about evangelism. Um, you can uh, tell us about that and, uh, and you can get in contact with us and you can talk to Pastor Jamie, for example, who is looking after our outreach portfolio and he's looking for hungry people, specific people, who want to know more about outreach and evangelism, that he can get together and pray with and encourage. I think that's an awesome thing. Send us an email and let us know that God's doing something in your life. Number eight, talk to someone experienced and good at personal evangelism and ask them to mentor you. 
Seek out a mentor. Learn the things that they're saying and understand what is being done. Number nine, get involved with following up new Christians in church. Ask them how they came to know Christ and learn from them. Then we've got a follow-up crew. And uh, Pastor Jamie and Pastor Mike are looking for people that are able to follow people up and encourage them and support them. And I tell you that the, the open conversation between them will help grow your passion to see new people come to know Christ. And the last one, ask God for a vision of the harvest, which means to see it happening. You can't have faith for something you can't see. Amen? I can see a church that's thriving. I can see a church that's full in every one of its services. I can see churches starting and being planted in communities that need the same to happen. And I can see ministries growing and going to the world in missions. This only happens because I see it. And I believe that you and I can see this happen in our time. That's what God's called us and we need a priority shift in this area. Amen? We need to come to that place and believe that God wants to use me. God wants to use you. And all he needs is a willing vessel. Amen? Can we pray as I close today? And uh, as we do, I think Pastor Therese is going to come and prepare to finish our service with a song. And as, as Teresa sings, can you just do some business with God? Can you just maybe get on your knees and you might need to repent. You might have been stifled in your evangelism, your witness for Jesus. Your light may have grown a little bit dim. Today, let me encourage you. The Holy Spirit is with you and he's here to empower you. If you need joy, I ask that the Lord will give you joy today. If you need empowerment, then I believe the Holy Spirit is with you to empower you. If you want the words to say, I can't fill them for you, you've got to get into your scriptures and ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. Don't just live on one meal a week or one meal a month. Get into the scriptures yourself and God will reveal the gospel to you. It'll change your life and it'll set fire to your heart. Amen, church? So Lord Jesus, as we pray today, we come before you and we open our hearts. Firstly, we say sorry because there have been times when we've been more focused on the internal than we have on the external. Lord, while we've been building, we've been trusting in you. And today we make a stand and we say we need a priority shift. We want to be a church focused on outreach, a church that reveals your light because the city set on a hill is to bear your witness. Thank you, Lord, for Life Source Church. Thank you for each and every individual member of this church. I pray today that you will empower them, that you will encourage them, that you will equip them for the purposes of your kingdom. Holy Spirit, as it says in the book of Acts, fill us with power for witness. Fill us to go out and beyond. Lord, help us to fulfill the great commission of, of uh, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, to go into all the world, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we do so with compassion, with love, with faith and with boldness. Lord, that we would shine brightly for you. Have your way in us, each and every person today, as we finish this service with you. Lord, we give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise in this place. In Jesus' name we all said, Amen. Have a blessed week, church. Have a fantastic Sunday. Look to the Lord. We've got a little bit extra time at home at the moment. Please don't get overburdened and overwhelmed. Turn to your scriptures and turn to prayer. Lord will change the way you think. Amen. Be blessed.